Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. How much longer will justice when Hello, everybody. This is Shane Claiborne, and I am so glad that you could join this conversation today. I got to tell you, I'm excited because I got First of all, my buddy Clint Baldwin uh, on the 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 recording here. Some of y'all are watching this. Some of y'all are listening in. Uh, but there is something happening down in Wilmore, Kentucky, um, and we're thanking God for it. We're trying to listen to the Spirit in all of it. Lives are being touched. So we're going to talk about the Asbury revival. And I also want to say for folks in other countries that don't even know where. Um, Wilmore, Kentucky is. Um, this is not just about what's happening there, but I think it's really a hope that revival can come to us and a fresh touch of God can come to us. And you don't have to fly across the world to get to Wilmore, Kentucky. But it is like we're celebrating these moments where we see God intervene in a really beautiful way. And we see that in scripture. We see that in different points through history. Uh, and there is something happening right now. So to talk about that is my friend and my brother down on the ground there in Kentucky, Clint Baldwin. Yeah, Shane, thank you. I'm I'm honored to be here. It's It's great to be one witness uh, sharing about what's transpiring here. And I, I would just echo that. A particular outpouring of the love of God, a particular expression of the love of God in one place, doesn't mean that it can't happen somewhere else. It doesn't mean it has to be exactly replicated in the same manner in some other place. It's meant to be an encouragement that we're all in this together, that God sees us, that God cares, and that God really wants to be intimately involved with the day-to-day -day aspect of our lives both small mm -hmm. interpersonally as well as on grander national and international scales. Yeah. yeah. So that's what so my hope would be is people encouraged through this. That's right. And we're going to get into it, but I think we need just a little backdrop for folks that are maybe just catching wind of this. They're trying to kind of, you know, get a pulse on it. Maybe there's even folks that revival language is sort of new to them or whatever. But I mean, uh, something happened on Wednesday, right uh, after chapel, and it's been happening ever since. I don't know where we'll be when people listen to this, but uh, tell us what the last week has looked like uh, at Asbury University. Yeah, you bet. Well, one of the things that I would say is that the beautiful aspect of this is it was unexpected and unorchestrated. Now it was hoped for. It's been hoped for for a long time. Ground has been being tilled for all kinds of times. There's uh, weekly chapels that transpired Asbury three times a week, and there's all kinds of methods that that are there. But 
This was not planned for. And I think part of the miracle of this revival is that it happens to be at an academic institution's uh, institution, which, and they are not known for pivoting well, being nimble, right? They're more known for red taping bureaucracy. And here is an institution that has said, yes, we will stop our pre-programmed plans. We will open our doors to whoever will come and we will sit here before the Lord and see what the Lord has for us. And so Wednesday chapel transpired in the morning. It was wonderful. Uh, you can listen on the podcast at their, at their website. You can find that and hear that. It's a wonderful message, but really what happened at the end is the gospel choir got up and sang. And there was space given for people to say, basically, would you like more of the Lord? And the answer was yes. And um, there was a palpable sense of the presence of the Lord and people stayed. It was time to go to classes. And of course, some went and and some went to classes, which they should. And we affirm that it's, a, again, an educational institution. Uh, but some stayed. They felt that now was the time that they ought to stay in front of the altar, mm. in front of the chapel. And then they kept staying. And then mid-afternoon, there was this sense of something more is moving forward. During even my time at the university back in the early 90s, there were movements like this that transpired, even long days filled with prayer, but nothing that moved to the extent that we've seen this transpire. We have people bussing in from all over, flying in from here, all over the nation, around the world. It's phenomenal. And all of this since last Wednesday, right? Yeah. So you can imagine the logistics of that, just making that happen. We are just grateful. There is, I mean, people from really, in a sense, all tribes and tongues and nations are, are here. And, and there is just room for people of all different walks coming before the Lord and saying, you know, we're really meant to be the church together. What does that mm -hmm. look like? Lord, what would you have us do? Yeah, I mean, and I got this text, you know, we, we had another call that some folks may have missed. There's a longer one where we had three wonderful students, Lena and Lauren and Asher, that were on the call sharing their experience so far as this is so fresh. And uh, Kyle, who was on that call, pastor in the area, he texted me last night and said, I think something like there's 650 people in the chapel. It's packed out. There's an overflow room of 350 people that's packed out. There's, you know, another overflow room of 300 people. And there's like hundreds of people just in the lawn, you know, so there's this hunger going on. Right. And, uh, um, and, and I had a friend yesterday in Philly that I had lunch with and he said, he's on his way down there. And this is what I want to ask you. Cause this is interesting. He he seemed to have, um, I mean, he, he's a good friend of mine. He's, he's had, uh, a, a lot of things he's deconstructing and unpacking within Christianity. I think a lot of folks have different, uh, baggage they're carrying. The, even the word revival may not have the best uh, vibe for folks, but um, there was this curiosity, you know, and he's like, I'm heading down tomorrow and even an openness, you know? Um, so I want to honor the fact that there's a lot of people that don't have the best experience with Christianity or the church, um, but maybe there's a new openness. And that's what I kind of since for my friend, uh, you know, what do you think? What do you think about that? Because there's certainly some people that are like, you know, this whole thing's been exploited. There's people been, you know, I mean, I'm not going to name names today, Clint, but you know, <laughs> we got some weird different versions of revival yes. out there. Right. So I think, you know, especially from a distance, concern, skepticism, criticism, all of these things, makes sense, especially with the history of the church. The church has not always held these things well. And of course, the church is made up 
of people like us. And so in some ways, we shouldn't be surprised that we all don't get it well, because most of our lives, we don't necessarily get well. What to me is amazing is that some of it does go well. And it's just like the, the spirit above and beyond us infuses uh, in, into the process. And I think we were talking Shane, just a little bit before, and we were saying it's kind of like Valentine's Day, right? Sometimes we don't say just because some people don't love well, we give up completely on love. And mm. same way, just because some people don't revival well, doesn't mean we completely give up on revival. And there's mm. a sense of goodness here. There are people with lots of years of wisdom and discernment in the midst of this seeking to shepherd well the process, right? These Again, these are people from all kinds of institutions, all kinds of walks from all over the place. There's a good, beautiful harmony in that, but there's also this need for saying, okay, let's think well together about this mm. moment. And of course, then proof is in the pudding, as some people would say, this moment is meant to transpire and, and carry forward into the lives of people and the lives of the world. Now, the neat thing about Asbury Revivals is there's been a stability and a sustainability in the past where that has transpired. That message mm. of good news has moved from people's hearts to their hands and their feet, and it has been shared in both word and deed. And, and yeah. hopefully that will be the case again. In a minute, I can tell you a story about one young man who was here. I'll let you kind of jump back in, but I'd love to come back to this story. Yeah, I want to hear all about I think Yeah, I want to hear all about that. And we've got plenty of time. If y'all are just listening in, I'm talking with my friend, Clint Baldwin, who... Um, it, this is interesting because we didn't really introduce you properly, Clint, but I think what's really beautiful about this is you don't really have an official role. Um, your your wife does as far as her, her right. vocation and calling and, and, and work at Asbury. But um, it might be helpful for people just to hear, you know, you, you and I have known each other in a bunch of different capacities. You've worked in different ministries and as a chaplain alongside with your wife, Sarah. But, um, you know, right now you're wearing the hat of Hey, I'm in this community. I'm a pastoral person here, but tell a little bit more like, you know, how you fit into the bigger revival there and, and Sarah as well, you know? Oh, goodness. Okay. Well, in, in an attempted nutshell. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, so that my role is I, I teach politics and economics uh, at Asbury, and I've overseen a mission uh, agency for a number of years, about just under a decade. And before that, I was in higher ed full time, uh, both in faculty and administration. And so I'm thankful to be part of the process of mm. Wilmore. Wilmore, for those yeah. of you who don't know, is a very small community. It's a two-stoplight town, uh, but that has this international connectedness because of a uh, institution of higher education, both a university and a seminary in it. So people are coming from all around the world in this kind of flavoring the process of what transpires here. It's it is something to be part of if you ever get the chance to come. So we're glad to be here. We live just across the street from campus, and so. Uh, I'm thankful to be part of that process. Last night I was there from just midnight to a little bit before 3 a.m. Just doing my Ooh. part of the small part of the shepherding process of just being present near the stage, helping to make sure that things are flowing smoothly. It, it takes a village. We each play a small part. And I'm just thankful to be here during this time. And I think what is incredible is the, it feels like God has put different folks in, in in a place where to steward this moment and to care for this moment where people like Sarah and you are not about ego. In fact, it's just the opposite. You're you you're you're everyone seems to be really protective. Um, 
and 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 not and very like sensitive to the vulnerabilities that this could be exploited. Other yeah. folks from the outside could come in and kind of uh, have their own angles or take on it. I'm sure some of that has probably already happened. But, you know, like to say this is not about a person and and we don't even want to be talking to media right now. So you and I are talking partly because Sarah's right there with the the students and faculty right. and, and all these visitors from around the world right now. So I don't I, I want to get right into like what's happening. But yeah, you know, say any more about say- that, like. One other thing that people should be encouraged by is it is a very, well, tricky for to not be uh, put too much of a point on it to when a moment becomes a movement of some sorts, because there's the logistics involved. There is some level of method, some level of systematization that happens that transpires. And that takes a lot of discernment. And I would say in the midst of this, uh, Shane, I would just echo what you said. We have seen so much humility. We have seen so much just gratitude and gratefulness. So many people with open arms and open hands saying, Lord, how can we best, to use your wording, steward this process forward so that your voice is the one, however you're speaking to whomever you're speaking that gets heard. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, you know, so as we like think towards some of the stories or uh, obviously we're going to protect, protect people's, you know, confidentiality and even the personalness of this moment, you don't want to just jump in. I mean, I think of all these reporters that come after tragedies in our neighborhood or even, you know, in, in these sensational moments and they're just looking for a story or something. So we're, we're really careful to the, the old, like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Don't go around flaunting what God's doing or anything. So there's, I think there is a humility there, but there's also a longing to kind of celebrate what God's doing and, and uh, to God be the glory, you know, uh, uh, to, in all of this. And there's some revivals that have had some stuff that like my head spins, you know, the gold dust from heaven, people like falling out in the spirit. I mean, I don't know. Weird stuff happens in scripture too, you know, but it does feel like um, that in the end, you want to see some real healing, right? We want to see some real reconciliation. And then we even want to see the fruit of that that's beyond just an individual encounter with God, but that flows into the community and world. So you're starting to see some of that. And tell us just a little bit of what, you know, what you're seeing the Spirit do. I will. I'll give a story here in just a moment of this. But I would say there's a difference between emotion which is holistic part of head and heart all of who we are and emotionalism. And of course, emotion is involved in this, but really Asbury is not known for its emotionalism, right? Historically, it comes out of methodism, right? There's a method. <laughs> like a process. I, so I, I think though people are thankful and grateful and there are different expressions of what that looks like, there isn't an undue ecstasy per se involved in this process. It really is just an openness to the way that the Lord is leading here. And Mm. and there's a goodness, I think, in that. One young man that I was going to tell you about, I think that exemplifies this, is I was kind of sitting on the stairs uh, doing my job, making sure that the right people are on the right stage at the right time, et cetera, and so forth, that the worship team is up there and, you know, the one that's supposed to be up there, you know, et cetera. A young man comes up and he's like, you know, hi, who are you? You know, hi, my name's Clint, you know, what's your name? And, and he expresses that. And he says, I- I'm new here. I just came here. When did this start? You know, he didn't even know that this is how what's transpiring now. He's just like, we heard about this and decided to come. He and his friend. 
And so I started to tell him and he says, ah, you know, I just, and I just became a Christian tonight. I just accepted the Lord into my life tonight. That was, he led with, what is this? And then he tells me that had just transpired. And, and then he goes on to tell me, he's like, you know, I didn't want to be here because he hadn't been a follower of Christ. He hadn't been particularly interested, but his, his friend had encouraged him to come. They came from another university in the, in, in the state and they just drove up. And so he came. And in the midst of this, he tells a longer story, but he says, he had this unfolding, unveiling of a realization of what had transpired in his life already. He had grown up in a family where one of his parents was a believer and the other one was not. And they mm. made space for that. But uh, it happened to be his father who was, um, he was adopted into the family and the father had, uh, he was his hero mm. his whole life. Mm. And then his father passed and um, passed on. And this was a deep moment of grief for him in, in his life. But when he came tonight, he had never put two and two together. I don't know how that doesn't happen, but he had never put two and two together. He said, oh, the reason my father was my hero and all the things that he did was because he was like these people. He was a believer. I mm -hmm. want that to be part of my life. So mm -hmm. this witness of his father, seeds laying for many, many years above and beyond this moment, this is the tilling of the ground that happens. He said, yes. And he said, he's pre-law. He's practicing, looking to practice law. And he said, I didn't even know this. The way I had articulated the, the rationale for why I wanted to be part of law was because I wanted to help those in need. I wanted to help widows. I wanted to help orphans who don't have food. I wanted to help people in prison be freed. And all his friend was like, ah, uh, you know, that's directly in scripture, right? And he's yeah, like, yeah. what? You know, and his friend told him this. And, and his friend, in the end, I come to find out, this is toward the end of the conversation, his friend had only accepted the Lord four months previous to that. So mm -hmm. here are two university men who just made this journey, you know, through the state, but cities away, and have chosen to become, and this now will become a moment that translates into changed progress and process. That's mm. what's meant to happen in revival. Mm. That's one example of that. I couldn't imagine. And, and this, one of the other pieces this young man said, he's like, I look around this room and I see people here of, of every ethnicity. I see people with tattoos, with no tattoos, people with earrings, with no earrings, people with long hair, no hair, etc. He's like, I see everyone here, those who are in their 90s and those who are children. Mm. And he's like, that makes sense to me well mm. to me so good that's i'm just relaying what i heard but to me that that best articulates i think what this moment is to be about making and space think that there's there's you know dozen dozens of stories that are variations and nuances and totally different experiences from that there's uh, maybe even hundreds now, you know, and, and there seems, seems like an innocence too, right? Where there's so much that we're, uh, that's going on in our world. We're coming out of COVID. P young people are leaving the church. A lot of congregations can't even bounce back from COVID. Denominations are unraveling in a million different ways. The Methodist world's divided around sexuality. I mean, there's so many complicated things. And then there's a moment like this where you see someone fall in love with Jesus, and I experienced it a, a few weeks ago. I was talking at a congregation, and I have to confess, I wasn't exactly expecting it. You know, you can kind of get in your routine, and I I preach my heart out, 
Um, you know, I tried to listen to the spirit, but I was stunned when this guy's afterwards, you know, crying like I did when I was in eighth grade and said, I, I, I'm so glad you shared about this. Uh, I just dedicated my life to Jesus. <laughs> you know, Amen. Yes. It's, this stuff still happens, right? Um, and, and I think that's it too. Uh, people should recognize that, you know, there's chapel three times a week at Asbury. There are all kinds of classes. There are prayer meetings that transpire. There's, there's all kinds of time where this kind of moment doesn't happen but the groundwork is consistently being laid for the possibility mm. of it. One other story I would tell that is, and, and the stories should be, they should be from the mundane to the spectacular. It's, it's mm. all part of the process. Nothing is left out. But one grandmother, this is a friend of mine who's on the prayer team. She was telling me this story. She was up there and a grandmother had brought her young granddaughter and was, was about ready to leave, but had, talked to my friend and said, I, I don't feel like I'm, I should leave without having my granddaughter prayed for. Right. And so mm -hmm. uh, she, she says, okay, that's, that's great. And they were talking next to one of the walls. And uh, as, as they were talking, she was telling her about the malady that her granddaughter was suffering from it. I think something gastrointestinal, et cetera, and so forth. Um, but happened to be right next to them a physician who particularly dealt with that particular issue in, in mm. people's lives. And she said, this is my expertise. This is what I deal with. I would be honored to pray for your granddaughter. And my friend said, she came and she prayed and she said, you know, would it be okay if I, if I laid my hands on your, your stomach? She said, yes. And she prayed the physiological all the physiological terminology, all of the necessary scientific aspects of background to this and said, God, would you infuse this with your life, with mm. your breath, above and beyond the science of that, what we could do. It was just a powerful moment that the right person happened to be in the right place at the right time. God's orchestrating, again, the whole revival is orchestrated above and beyond people's ideas of what should transpire. Asbury yeah, just yeah. said, we'll make space and open. Mm. Same thing there. Uh, the the grandmother said yes, sought prayer. Prayers. Somebody said yes, I will pray. And then all of a sudden, God value adds above and beyond. And moments like that, like you said, <laughs> also, hundreds, and hundreds of these stories already. I also love that it's a doctor, right? Because you can believe in prayer and science and yes. medicine, right? <laughs> yeah, in the and best I, sense, they they go together. That's that's right. And I've I've thought it. You know, I've I've pointed out that I think it's very. Uh, disturbing sometimes when, uh, you know, a lot of Christians were saying we're going to have revivals and we don't need to wear masks. You know, we're not going to obey like any right. sensible uh, public gathering, uh, you know, things or whatnot. And you're like, the same folks are saying we don't need a, a mask to protect us. Some of them are saying, but we still need a gun to protect us. You know, there's logic there going on for sure. Or an incommensurate lack of logic going yeah, you, on. That's right. you, can, you can believe in God and wearing a mask, right? And you, you can, can believe in a doctor and in prayer. And I think some of this is so beautiful because there's things I've experienced, Quinn, I'm still a believer in miracles. And there's times when I'm like, you know, I want to believe, help my unbelief. Like I was hearing a story sure. the other day about this person being healed and like their body actually changed. Right. I was at this event in Europe and they did an altar call and um, people 
people had these physical healings and it just got so wild that I was like, I have no idea what's happening. And it was so beautiful. There was like kind of a freedom and not knowing what was happening and not having any control over it. I mean, that can get abused, but it's also like, man, we're dealing with God here, you know? So I, I want to say, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. One of the things about Asbury that I would say, and that's it, there isn't, there are meaningful things that are transpiring, but there is not a sensationalism to this process. Mm. One of the biggest, and again, as people watch, you know, different people bring different lenses to this process. Some of them are like, I just can't say yes until I see more. And that's okay. Yeah. Because in the long run, I think one of the largest miracles is something Eugene talks about, Eugene Peterson, a pastor, talks about is a long obedience in the same direction. That's yeah. a miracle. Yeah, that's totally. a miracle. And if that so transpires good. in people's lives, then that's true revival. Yeah, and I want to say there's folks out there that are they're saying, well, if this is just about a personal experience, then is it really God? And I, I mean, I want to say that that you know, multiple things can be true. God is personal, and God cares about this world and cares about social justice. And I think of this one guy that wrote me a letter, Clint, and he said, I find myself really alone between inactive believers and unbelieving activists. And I think there's a lot of folks that want folks that believe in prayer and action that believe in praying about gun violence and then changing policies on gun violence. Folks that really want to like see prayer and action together. So, I mean, that's my hope. And I think for folks listening in y'all, let's keep, uh, let's keep celebrating what God's doing. And even if you're one of those, it's like, I want to believe, help my unbelief. Like, keep leaning in, keep stay curious about what's happening. It's hard to argue with these stories of what people are experiencing in their own lives. And I think also people outside are, are valid in saying, if this is a real move of God, then we should see evidence in one year or 10 years or 50 years in the fruit of it. And it's absolutely true. God is transforming people and God is also healing the world. So we want to see people liberated. We want to see good news to the poor. We want to see immigrants welcomed. We want to see violence ended in our world, the kind of world that God wants. Uh, and some of that change begins in us. Sometimes yes. the, the revolution, the revival starts inside of us. So I'm so grateful for my brother, my friend, Clint Baldwin. I think we'll probably have you back soon to hear an update with you or Sarah, but we're I, praying I would, for you. I would be glad for that. Please pray for the people. And one of my friends from around the world, she just wrote a colleague and she said, please remember just to pray for the mm. people in Turkey and, and, and the, all the devastation that's gone there. That's part of revival is remembering those who aren't immediately physically with us. Please pray for them as well. All right, y'all, we're out of time for today, but we're coming from Asbury uh, University down in Wilmore, Kentucky with my buddy Clint Baldwin. Thanks for listening in. Let's pray for revival uh, in our own hearts and throughout the world for the spirit to move in a fresh way. Hallelujah. Amen. Bless you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you 
for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.